So I got you guys some Wawa to share. So I'm going to hand it to the guys in the front, and they'll, they'll pass it around. Hey, so um, so glad to have Living Hope, have you guys here with us. Um, so the Green Tree kids may not know this, but Living Hope, you guys are about to do something really exciting about a month from today. And so what's happening is uh, Living Hope Church is planting a new church called Redeeming Grace Church. Pastor Jeremy Hetrick in the back in the green is leading that. And um, so that, that's exciting to us here at Green Tree because we've been praying about planning a church and to see your church take that step of faith is an encouragement to us. Um, by show of hands, how many of you campers are going out on that church plant? Wow, that's awesome. Um, I want to just, I want to pray for you guys that are, are going out on that plant, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we can gather together uh, as, as churches in partnership for this youth camp. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, Living Hope Church and for their faith to send out this church plan. And I thank you for these students and their families and their faith to go and be part of this church plan. Lord, we pray as they go out that you would go with them. I ask for these students in what will be new and different and exciting. Lord, that they would see the ways that you are at work. Lord, we know there'll be some things that will be different and maybe uncomfortable. Father, I pray that through this, you would grow their trust in you. Lord, we, we think of other students that will be reached through the ministry of this new church. And I ask that you would use these students here as a witness to your truth as this church plant goes out. And Father, we look forward to youth camp next year when Redeeming Grace Church will be part of this camp with us as well. And so we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been talking about what it means to be set free. We heard on Wednesday night that the truth of Jesus sets us free from the lies of the world. This morning we heard that we are set free from the penalty of sin. The barrier of sin has been removed from our relationship with God and we are free to experience his love through Christ. And tonight we're going to look at how we have been set free from something else. We're going to look at how we've been set free from the power of sin. But that freedom we will find tonight is not, it's not an absolute freedom to do whatever we want. But it's a new freedom. It's freedom to now belong to God. And freedom to live a life in pursuit of holiness. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. 
And I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which, which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Question for you tonight, what is freedom? If someone walked up to you on the street and they said, what is freedom, what would you say? You might say, well, well, we live in a free country. We can do what we want. We can chase whatever dreams or, or goals we have. You might say, freedom is, is the freedom to be the person I want to be. Be my, my own self with my own individual styles and interests. You might say freedom is, is more of a feeling. It's, it's what feels best for me. The freedom to be who I want and love who I want and do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. How we think about freedom is important. And in our passage tonight, the Apostle Paul, he wants to give us God's perspective on freedom and show us that sometimes what we think is freedom is actually slavery. Recently, my family has been into watching old episodes of this show. Penn and Teller Fool. Has anybody seen it? Okay, so Penn and Teller are these really famous magicians. And what they do in this show is they bring other magicians on to perform an illusion. And the idea of the show is that those magicians are trying to fool Penn and Teller. And if they fool Penn and Teller, they get a trophy and they get to appear on Penn and Teller's magic show. Magic is deceptive, right? The magician is trying to trick the audience. He wants them to believe something that, that really isn't possible. But all magic tricks, they're, they're not what they seem. The magician, he, he does something, and it looks like he's got some sort of a secret power. But in reality, it, it's just a, a trick or a gimmick or some kind of deception to, to trick the audience, now, I love magic. I love magic shows. I love magic tricks. When I was younger, I was really into magic, and I even performed in a few magic shows. The first time that you see 
a really good magic trick, you're stunned, you're amazed, you don't know what, how it happened. But once you understand how the trick is done and you learn the deception behind the trick, the trick kind of loses its power, it loses its wonder, it's not that exciting anymore. The deceptive nature of, of magic, it makes us think that the magician has some sort of power that they really don't have. Well, that is a lot like sin. Sin twists and distorts our reality and causes, causes us sometimes to think something is good when in reality it's harmful. That's what we call the deceptive nature of sin. That's how sin, it tries to, to trick us and make us think or feel or believe something that isn't entirely real or truthful or good. And so one of the deceptions of sin is how it twists the way we think about freedom. That's why the, the message that we hear a lot from our culture is that you can really do whatever you want and be whoever you want to be as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Well, in the Bible, we, we read something else. In Hebrews chapter 3, we, we are warned not to be hardened by the deceitful nature of sin. Here's why. Sin doesn't come at us showing all its terrible consequences. Sin comes quietly and softly. Sometimes sin comes with a question. Is it, is it really that bad? Don't a lot of people do this? It doesn't really seem to be hurting them. Sin sometimes can, can make us think that if we give in to it, something really good is going to happen. We'll get something we've missed out on. It'll make our life or our day a little bit more fun. Sin can trick us into thinking that, you know, that might be bad for other people, but it's probably okay for me. Another way sin deceives us is that it tricks us into thinking we can go a little bit into sin. Not all the way, but just a little bit, and it won't be that bad. But here's the, the biggest deception of sin. Sin tricks us into thinking and feeling that we are free when in reality we are enslaved to sin. This is, this is really the heart of what this passage in Romans 6 is telling us. We know this because verse 17 says, we were once slaves of sin. Being a, a slave to sin means that we are, are totally trapped and, and totally stuck in sin with no way out. In high school, my best friend's name was Berger. His name was John, but everybody called him Berger. That was his last name. And John and I, we, we did everything together. We liked to hang out all the time. And one of the things that we liked to do was go off-roading. I had a 1976 CJ7 Jeep, and John had like a mid-80s K5 Blazer, 35-inch tires, two 12-inch subs in the back, and a giant set of steer horns bolted to the hood. 
and the top in the back went down. The thing was cool, right? So we one day, we were, we were off-roading in this, this pit, you know, way out away from, from home, and I got my Jeep stuck in the mud. And so we tried and tried to get my Jeep out, of it, and the more we tried, the more stuck it got. So we had this idea that we'd bring John's blazer into the mud pit to try to pull my Jeep out. Well, when we did that, his blazer got stuck in the mud. And so we had to call my dad and he came and he rescued us. He pulled us out of the mud. But that's a lot like us in our sin. We are, are totally stuck with, with no way out. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says that, that this, that as we are slaves to sin or as we are slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, it leads to more lawlessness. What this is saying is the, the more we sin, the more stuck we get. And the more stuck we get, the more we sin. Being a slave to sin also means that, that sin is our, our master. Sin is our owner that, that we are forced to obey. So many times, things in life, they, they look like they're going to be freedom. They look like they're going to be good. They look like they're going to be fun. But God wants us to see the reality that it is slavery. Now, before we go on, I want to just talk about this idea of slavery. When you hear that word slavery, the, the picture you probably get is, is something about our American history and our history of slavery with abusive slave owners or maybe some modern day uh, slavery of, of human trafficking. When Paul wrote this letter, slavery was, was common, but it was different than how we think about slavery. slavery. Sometimes people were captured as slaves, but often people would actually sell themselves into slavery for a better life. And masters typically weren't abusive. They provided food and shelter and in times an education. Sometimes slaves were, were doctors or lawyers or, or ran businesses. They weren't slaves for ethnic or, or racial reasons. They were owned by their masters and their freedom was limited, but often they were paid for their work and could purchase their freedom. But that word slave, when we hear it, it, it can feel offensive. And, and Paul, he gets this. So he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms, or I'm, I'm using an example that you would be familiar with. He knew this wasn't the perfect example, and he wasn't trying to condone any type of abusive slavery, but he wanted to communicate this idea of belonging to a master. And so he uses this example, and here's, here's what he wants us to see. People think that not following God is freedom. His rules, they're, they're they're old-fashioned. They're, they're too restrictive. They don't feel popular. They don't feel cool. They don't feel freeing. What feels free is to, to do what I want. But Paul says that's, that's actually slavery. That's belonging to sin. Sin owns you. Sin owns you to the extent that you don't have power over it and have any ability to free yourself from it. See, that's where sin deceives us because 
We don't feel that way. We don't feel like sin is our master. Actually, sometimes it feels kind of freeing to sin. It feels kind of free to, to step into certain things. Right? If your brother is annoying you and you scream, shut up, you idiot, that actually kind of feels good at first, doesn't it? But the deception is that that's not freedom. That's slavery. And in verses 20 and 21, Paul wants us to see the results of being a slave to sin. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That word righteousness means to be right with God, to be good with God. So Paul says, slaves to sin are free in regard to righteousness. They're free from being right with God. That's not good. That's not a good thing. Those who are trapped in sin are not good with God. It's a bad freedom. It's a bad freedom because of where it leads. The verse tells us that it leads to shame and death. What we thought was freedom, doing what we want, it brought us shame and death. So since sin ends with shame and death, it brings captivity. We are captive to whatever we are willing to obey. We could think of a, an extreme example, someone who's addicted to drugs. Once they're addicted, they have to keep going back for another high, for another high. But the same is true of, of the hardworking girl that sits next to you in math class. The most important thing in her life is getting good grades, getting into the best college. And she's enslaved to that. Or the top player on your travel basketball team who ignores God and all he does and all he thinks about all day long is basketball. But we heard this morning that Jesus brings freedom from these penalties of sin. Through his death on the cross, he removed the shame of our sin. There's nothing to be ashamed about because Jesus washes our record clean. There's no longer any guilt for our sin. Jesus dies our death. The power of death is broken as he rises from the dead. We're no longer people who die and go to hell, but people who die and live forever in perfection. That's what Jesus does for us. That is what we are set free from. But we are also set free to belong. Being set free from sin means that we now belong to God. See, we're never free in the sense that we can just do whatever we want. We're never free in the sense that we don't belong to someone or something. Paul is telling us here that we're either slaves of sin 
or slaves of righteousness. We either belong to sin or we belong to God. Freedom from sin is not absolute freedom. It's freedom to belong to God and to become more like him. Freedom from sin is not the removal of all the restraints on our life, but it's the removal of all the restraints that keep us from God. Paul actually tells us here that to be set free from sin is to be enslaved again. Look at the language he uses in verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, what does it say? Slaves of God. When we are set free from sin, we now belong to a new master. We belong to God. But here's the good news, guys. God is not an abusive or oppressive master. God is good and kind in every way. Unlike the master of sin, there is no deception in God's heart. Unlike the master of sin, God's desire is not to destroy us, but to lead us to what is best. Unlike the master of sin that leaves us unsatisfied and wanting more, following God leads us to greater happiness and greater satisfaction. Unlike the master of sin that keeps us enslaved, God sent his son to free us forever. So our belonging to God and our being united to Jesus, it sets us free to live out the reality of what God has done for us. If you were a prisoner and you'd been sentenced to life in prison, in a dirty, musty jail cell, and every night you slept on this slimy, stained, uncomfortable mattress, and every day you got a dirty plate of, of maggot-ridden food to eat. And then one day this, this rich man came along and he said, I'm going to buy your freedom. And you can come live at my lakefront mansion. You can eat my food, live at my house, swim in my Olympic swimming pool, ride my jet skis. Imagine if that happened and you said, you know what? I just want my jail mattress back. I just want my jail dinner plate back. Right? You would, you would never say that. Because that's, that's not the reality of who you are now. You've been set free. In the same way, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are no longer a prisoner of sin. And so God calls you to live in the reality of who you are as a child of God. Because of Jesus, the power of sin is broken and we are, a set, we are set free. We are no longer slaves. And that freedom, it has a purpose. Look at verse 22. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See, the result of now belonging to God is that this new process begins in your life. It's a process of sanctification. That word means just growing more and more like Jesus, growing in holiness. So when you come to faith in Christ, this process begins and God works in your life to change you and mold you more into the image of his son. The more we look like Jesus, the more free we are. In fact, the the greatest freedom that we can experience is growing in holiness. We know this because holiness has no shame. Holiness has no guilt. Holiness has no punishment. Holiness brings the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction. And not only do we begin to experience this freedom here on earth, but also verse 22 tells us the end result of being set free from sin and belonging to God is eternal life. The freest that we will ever be is when we are in heaven and sin is totally removed forever and we are perfected. Paul sums up this idea in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we earn for our sin is slavery, is eternal slavery as prisoners in hell. But what Jesus gives as a free gift is eternal freedom with God. See, freedom doesn't mean freedom to do what we want. But it means freedom to serve and know God and to be with him forever. So what does that look like in our life? What does does being set free to pursue holiness look like in our day-to-day Pursuing holiness is not just trying to live good or do nice things. It's not just trying to do what Jesus did. It's not trying just to keep a list of rules and check off boxes each day. Holiness first means growing to know Jesus more. Listen to what Pastor Kevin DeYoung says. The pursuit of holiness is also the pursuit of Christ. We aren't interested in being virtuous just to be good people. Our first love is Jesus. Holiness is not ultimately about living up to a moral standard. It's about living in Christ and living out of our real vital union with him. The point isn't to be good. The point is that we are set free to know and pursue Jesus. 
Holiness is more about a relationship than rules. And so if you want to live a life of holiness, don't look to a list to follow. Look to a Savior who loves you. Get to know him. His life, his heart, his thoughts, his character. It's all pure holiness. Listen to Pastor Kevin DeYoung again. We don't just want holiness. We want the Holy One in whom we have been counted holy and are now being made holy. To run hard after holiness is another way of running hard after God. God sets us free from our slavery to sin for this very purpose. He wants us to belong to him. And as we belong to him, he wants us to live in the way he created us to live. Our lead pastor, Pastor Kyle, recently in a sermon, he said this. We are most human when we are most godly. Meaning that our greatest purpose in life is to to know God more. God wants you to be the real you. And the real you is the set free you. Not the enslaved to sin you. So as we pursue holiness... As God works in us, he works to restore and to change us into what he created us to be. The more you grow in holiness, the more like the real you, you are becoming. My first car was a a 90s Dodge Colt. There's a picture of it. That's not my first car, but that's exactly what it looked like. My, my cousins actually gave it to me. So I was really excited to, to have a car. And back then, my friends and I, we were into like souping up our cars, fixing them up. So I was like, I'm going to make this car really cool. So I put like this vinyl strip across the top of the windshield. I had these remote control fog lights and a remote control strobe light under the car. I pulled out all the air conditioning vents and the door handles and I spray painted them red and put them back in. I had this red stripe seat covers. I had a red steering wheel cover. And then I wanted my car to sound cool. So I bought a cherry bomb exhaust. It's a glass packed exhaust pipe and it makes your car sound like a race car. And I was putting this this on my car and my dad came over and he said, why are you cutting a perfectly good muffler off your car to put that on? Now, my car wasn't cool at all. And everything I did to that car, it made it less valuable. What I thought was, was cool, what I thought looked cool and, and sounded cool, it just destroyed what that car was originally supposed to be. But have you ever seen somebody that takes a classic car, like an old, rusty, sweaty Mustang or a Charger or something like that, and they, they sand it down, and they put a really good paint job on it. They redo the leather seats. They redo the dash. 
They take the motor out, rebuild it all the way down, chrome it out, put it back in, and the car looks amazing. You ever seen a car like that? It's been totally redone. They're, they're incredible, right? They're, they're a work of art. They're restored back to their original condition. That's how we should think about holiness. Holiness is the restoration of the image of God in us. As we obey God, we're, we're becoming more of what he created us to be. You see, being set free from sin is not just a get out of hell card, but it's to grow more like Christ, more like what God created us to be. So when, when God in the Bible gives us commands and rules, they're not meant to slow us down. They're not meant to rob us of fun. They're not make, meant to make us bored out of our minds and, and, and nerds. Right? Growing in holiness by obeying God's commands, they're always going to make life better. They're always going to increase our joy in what God has for us. They're always going to give us true and lasting peace. Because God's commands, they show us what he's like. They show us what he values, what he loves, and what he hates. They show us what it means to be holy as God is holy. In Romans 8.29, it says that God predestined us or planned to conform us to the image of his son. God's plan in saving you was to, to transform you into the image of his son. That's God's plan for you. It's his plan so that you would know him better. So if, if you think about God's standards and God's rules, the things you have read or heard from the Bible, and you think, I don't like them very much. Then in reality, you're saying, I don't like God very much. Because to hate the rules is really to, to hate the God who created the rules to help us become more like him. But if, if in your heart, you're saying yes, I mean, I struggle sometimes, but, but yes, I, I want to follow what God says. Even if they're really small desires, then that shows you love God. The Bible gives us pictures of, of a believer, of a follower of Christ, having, having a heart that loves holiness, that loves obedience to God. Listen to some of these verses from the Psalms. Psalm 19, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 2, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates Day and night. 
Most days, I do not wake up thinking, yeah, I love God's laws. I would rather have God's laws than a whole pile of gold. I don't wake up like that. Most mornings I wake up and I'm more excited about what's on my phone than what's in my Bible. I need help with that. I need God's spirit to work in me. When I, when I read these verses from the Psalms, I look at them and I go, man, that's, that's not me. And so I need to come to God, and maybe you do too, and say, God, your word says I should love what you love more than all the money in the world. Would you help me? God, I should be more excited about what you say than, than what's on my phone. Would you help me? Would you change me? Or sometimes when we, we think about God's standards, we feel like we just don't measure up, like we're not good enough, like we're just a miserable failure after miserable failure. But listen, here's the deal. Our obedience to God, however small and however weak it seems to us, God loves it. Did you ever make a card for your parents? Here's one that my son made. It says, Dad, you're the coolest. And it's got a popsicle on it. Happy Father's Day. Right, and here's, here's one my, I think my girls made this. Give Dad a hand. And it's all like ways they like to hang out with me around the house. And do, do stuff together. Right, parents... We love these kind of cards from our kids. I would never say to my kids, thanks for the card, but your artwork stinks. <laughs> like my head's misshapen, the dog's the wrong color. Your terrible drawing ruined my day. I would never say that because as a dad, like I love these cards. I, I keep these cards. They're, they're precious to me, not because they're great works of art, but because they come from my kids, and my kids love me. That's the same way with God, guys. He looks at our obedience, and our obedience, compared to his perfection, a lot of times it looks like one of these cards. It looks like stick figures, but he looks at our obedience, however small it is, and he looks at it with a loving father's heart. He has set us free, and our obedience brings him great joy. You have been set free. You have been set free from your slavery to sin, and now you belong to God, so live for him. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that the power of sin, the slavery of sin has been broken. And thank you that you don't just leave us, but you call us to you. You call us to belong to you. So, Father, I pray for these students here that they would live 
in the reality of what it means to belong to you and that you by your spirit would empower their obedience, that you would empower their holiness, that you would work in them, that they would love your law and delight in it. And they would remember your heart, that you love and cherish them and you love and cherish the obedience in their lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.